right, you ready? It's almost done. I actually thought I was going to be done this week. I had this crazy idea that I could fit it all in. I don't have that crazy idea anymore. So we're going to do Jeremiah 51, Jeremiah 52 next time. And, uh, and then we'll get to Lamentation. So we're getting closer. Now, as we look at Jeremiah, the very end of the last three chapters of, of Jeremiah, as he focuses in, and really from the oracle of the nations, a lot of times when people look at the, the prophecies, we get excited about the literalness of the prophecy, or we get excited about the, the absolute fulfillments, and certainly there's a lot of prophecy that, that uh, toes the line that, but Babylon's not one of those. So when we come to eschatology, a lot of people look for the rebuilding of Babylon because the things we're going to read, while some of them did occur, they didn't happen like the Bible talks about. And so people who are looking for literal or absolute fulfillment from from these scriptures, it's not there. But when we look at prophecy and we look at the word of God, one of the things we've got to learn to do is, is to pay attention to the reason why he's telling us what he's telling us. And so hopefully we can bring some of that home. The word of God tells us not only God's redemption of man, that's a story from Genesis to Revelation, how God redeems man, but also the, the Bible lays out for us a tale of two cities. One is the city of man's rebellion against God, and the other is a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And God oftentimes refers to this city of God by uh, the terms Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, or Zion. And oftentimes the Lord refers to this city of rebellion as Babylon. So when we look at it, we touched a little bit on it last week, and I think we'll, the plan will be to touch on it some more here. But as we do, as we look, as we see what it is that God is laying out for us, I want us to understand that the fulfillment is still future. There is a day coming where God will once and for all quell all rebellion. It didn't happen to Babylon. We're going to explain it as we go. So when Jeremiah is talking about Babylon, when Jeremiah is laying out the judgment of these nations, many of those judgments are times where where Jeremiah is looking out over the future, beyond his realm, beyond his time, and some things did occur in his time. Some nations did get brought down, but as we reach out further, what is he talking about? What is he saying? The the reality that every nation is going to stand before God one day. That every individual is going to stand before God one day. And there will be accountability. What we do matters. Choices we make matter. The things we do, they echo out far beyond us. So we look at the scripture, he says in Jeremiah 51.1, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will stir up the spirit of a destroyer against Babylon, against the inhabitants of Lebkamai. And I will send to Babylon winnowers, and they will winnow her, and they will empty her land. And uh, when they shall come against her from every side on the day of trouble, let not the archer bend his bow. Let not him, or let him not stand up in his armor. Spare not her young men. Devote to destruction all her army. And they shall fall down slain in the land of the Chaldeans and wounded in her streets. This destruction that God's talking about did not happen to Babylon. The Medes conquered Babylon and the people in the inner city of Babylon didn't even know. The nation, can you imagine, a nation in the ancient world being conquered and the people in the city not knowing it. You know why they didn't know? They were having a party. 
And nobody wanted to interrupt the party to tell them they had just been conquered. Because the armies of Cyrus had gotten in past the wall. They didn't even have to tear down the wall. They just walked in. And they put down the king of Babylon and they raised up Cyrus, just like Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied that Cyrus would be God's anointed. God named him by name long before he was born. And Cyrus came and he delivered Babylon into the hands of the Medo-Persian Empire. And the city was still there. People still living in it. Still worshiping false gods. Then the Medo-Persian Empire is conquered by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great comes in and he conquers Babylon. And he's so stoked that he has Babylon that he remodels the whole city and gets it up to almost the same fame it had under Nebuchadnezzar. And then Alexander the Great dies. His kingdom is divided by his four generals. And those four generals each cut out a piece and then they spend the rest of their time fighting one another because your one-fourth of the world's not big enough. Right? Uh, that's not new. We've been doing that for a long time. And during those four kings, nobody cared about Babylon. So Babylon just faded out. It became a little more broken down and a little more broken down and a little less used until it was basically a pile of ruins. Now when we read scripture, that's not how it sounds. Scripture talks about an utter destruction and a wiping out of all the armies and it's talking about this incredible um, battle that takes place between God, his destroying spirit, and the armies of Babylon. And maybe we would be confused, you know, if we didn't have John the Revelator. Because John the Revelator tells us long after Babylon was gone, during the time of Rome, John the Revelator says, hey, there's coming a day when Babylon's going to be destroyed. And if the people walking in that land, as they read it, they'd say, what's he talking about? There's no Babylon. Who's Babylon? And we discover from the story of Babylon, from Genesis 11 to Revelation 18, you have a city that is always focused on rebellion against God. So it becomes the symbol of, an illustration of man's rebellion against God. And there will be a day when God utterly destroys man's rebellion against him, right? Genesis told us, the Lord said, I will not always strive with man. You remember? I will not always strive with man. So we begin to see this description by Jeremiah. You'll see another description by Ezekiel. And we look at it and we back up and we, and we think, you know, he's talking about the, the symbol of man's rebellion against God. And he describes it another place, Revelation, just after chapter 18. You guys heard of Revelation 19? The battle of Armageddon where Jesus returns and puts down the evil empire of the Antichrist once and for all? Yeah? So I think all of these things come together. They fit together. Now in verse 5 in Jeremiah, listen to what the Lord says. For Israel and Judah have not been forsaken by their God. So through it all, even the judgment, the exile, the people are in exile. They're slaves. And God says you're not forsaken. You're not forsaken. A lot of times, you know, just life, sometimes life just throws you a bunch of curveballs. And it's important that we remember that the, the message to Israel and to Judah is the same message to God's people today. You are not forsaken. You may have to go through an exile. Life may get hard. You may be a slave. 
but you're not forsaken. You're not forgotten. You are not left unforgiven. And this is what the Lord is laying out for them. The Lord of hosts. However, the land of the Chaldeans is full of guilt against the Holy One of Israel. It's the title for Messiah. The Holy One of Israel. Who comes back and fights that last battle? The last battle that Revelation talks about, it's Jesus Christ. He comes back and fights. That the, the sin of the Chaldeans, they're full of guilt. Those who have rejected, turn their back on what is provided by the Holy One of Israel. The Bible is talking about this final punishment, the final judgment. The last great act of defiance being put down by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He says in, as he continues uh, in verse 5, For Israel and Judah have not been forsaken, the Lord of hosts, um, the Lord of hosts, but the land of Chaldeans is full of guilt against the Holy One of Israel. So flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Now, just think with me. Exiles can't flee. You're a slave. So when the, when the prophet comes in and he says, the Lord says, flee from Babylon, Free, flee from Babylon. What are you going to do? Oh, sorry, <coughs> slave owner, I can't do anything for you today. God told me to flee. I would appreciate it if you take these chains off of me so I could go. No. No, he's speaking to a future generation. He's speaking uh, to another time. He's telling us that there is a time to flee from Babylon. And if you'll read Revelation 17 and 18, you will see the same language. Come out from within her, my people, says the Lord. The judgment is falling. That's what he declares. Why? He says, be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. Babylon was a golden cup in God's hand, in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunk. That's Revelation 17. The woman who rides a beast, take a look making all the earth drunk. The nations drank of her wine. Therefore, what's it say? The nations did what? The nations went mad. The nations went crazy. Why? Because they drank of the cup of rebellion against God and they drank it to the dregs. They drank it all. So then comes the cup of the wrath of God. And God says, just as you drink that cup, you're going to drink this one. The nations went mad. They go crazy. Suddenly, Babylon has fallen and been <coughs> broken. Wail for her. Revelation 18. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but... Uh, but she was not healed. Forsake her. Let us go each to his own country, for her judgment has reached up to heaven and has been lifted up to the skies. And the Lord has brought our vindication. Why is he talking about vindication? A lot of times people look at this and they talk about Babylon. Just, just think with me a little bit. Assyria was a cruel kingdom. Most of the time, the people they took captive didn't even make it back to where they were going. They tortured and killed them and left them all down the road stuck on spikes. That's the people God sent Jonah to. You remember Jonah didn't want to go? The Babylonians absorbed captives. They absorbed them into the nation. You went in exile, but you basically had a pretty okay life. Nobody was sticking you on spikes. Now, 
The king might decide he wants you all to bow down to a statue, and if you don't do it, he'll throw you in the oven. But apart from some of those things, it was not so bad. The treatment of Babylon against its captives was not as bad as many of the other nations that are described. So when it says it's the day of the Lord's vindication, he's, gonna, he's getting them for what they did to you. You got to look a little further away. Because when we read Revelation 17 and 18, why is God bringing his vindication upon Babylon? Because in her is the blood of all the prophets. In her is the blood of all the martyrs. In her, the blood of righteous Abel is crying out. In Revelation 6, how is that described? Or Revelation 5, I'm sorry, the martyrs beneath the throne, right? Calling out, what do they say? How long, O Lord? How long until what? Till you get them for what they did to us. You remember what the Lord says? A little while longer. (laughs) That's always the answer. When we were going on a long drive and the kids would start busting my chops, how long? You guys had kids that did that? How long till we get there? How long? My answer was always the same. Just a little longer. Just a little longer. Eventually they get tired of asking, right? Just a little longer. So the the cry, look, the blood, the blood guilt, the Lord is charging to Babylon. <clears throat> not just the Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar. And the Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar is not less sinful than the, the nation of the United States, right? Or vice versa. The nation of the United States is not le- less sinful than Babylon. And all around the world, do we see an attitude of rebellion against God everywhere? Every nation, it's weird. I know, I know, oh, just be quiet, Jackie. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Uh, yeah, just be quiet. Don't do it. Let, let, the moment, <laughs> let the moment pass. There's always somebody shouting for the guy to jump off the building, you know. Oh, come on. Come on, ready, jump. All right, so the Lord's bringing his vindication. Listen to how he describes it. Come, let us declare, what's he say? In Zion, what? The work of the Lord our God. So in the same time, when we talk about the day of the Lord and, and Christ's return and the putting down of wickedness, the same day that's all that judgment and condemnation is also a day of great proclamation for the work of God. Because it's not just putting away the wicked, it's lifting up the righteous. It's being delivered finally. And when we talk about salvation, salvation is, it's not great language, but salvation basically has three parts to it. One, being declared justified by the judge. That's when the judge declares you not guilty. It didn't mean you didn't do the crime. He's making a declaration. That's called justification. <clears throat> then sanctification is our process as we grow, looking forward to the third part. What's the third part? Glorification. Because what? One day we'll see him and we'll be like him. Now, that doesn't mean we'll become gods. What it means is when we see him, he's going to set us free from the never-ending battle against sin, of brokenness. He who, I, I don't want to mess with it, but the idea is that he who knew no sin became sin. So he who knew no brokenness became my brokenness. The scripture declares in Isaiah 53 that it's by his stripes I'm made whole. By the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Everything that we need that we're guilty of was poured out on the son so that one day when we stand before the Son, we can be ultimately glorified, set free from our brokenness, our sinfulness, our, that never-ending battle of flesh and spirit. That's the, that's the day of salvation. That's when the promise is ultimately absolutely fulfilled. 
The Bible says now you have the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of your inheritance, right? He's a guarantee that God's going to do what he said. So we see him, we look forward to that incredible day. He's saying, come to Zion, celebrate in Zion. Let's celebrate the work of the Lord our God. All Think of the, the, the riches of all the sinners who have ever called on the name of the Lord to be saved, being purged and set feet free and cleansed and raised up and all of the, the things, all the broken parts cast off and all the tears wiped away. What kind of day is that going to be? But the Bible never describes one without the other. Because that's a part of the day of the Lord. It's a day of ultimate salvation and a day of ultimate judgment. And I think it's a day he's describing. In verse 11 he says, sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the king of the Medes. His name was Cyrus. Because his purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. Set up a standard against the walls of Babylon. Make the watch strong. Set up watchmen. Prepare the ambushes. For the Lord has both planned and done what he spoke concerning the inhabitants of Babylon. So that king of the Medes is going to come and he's going to take Babylon, but he's not going to destroy it. He's going to move in. Why tear down the house and build another one? He's like, this is a pretty cool place. You know, let's change the furniture, paint it. And then he's going to move in. And Alexander's going to do the same. The scripture says that God is going to destroy Babylon, the vengeance of the Lord, and is for the vengeance of his temple. And we think immediately, well, it's for the destruction of the temple. The Babylonians destroyed the temple. Yeah, the temple's been destroyed. The temple, when Jesus walks out of the temple, when Jesus stands before the priest and is examined prior to his crucifixion and they're looking at him and they're rejecting him, they're rejecting his teachings, they're doing all of that. He turns around and he says to them, see, your house is left to you desolate. When he came, you remember what he said? My father's house shall be a house of prayer. When he left, he said, your house is left to you desolate, empty. I'm not here. Ezekiel described it as Ichabod, the day when the glory departed. Ezekiel saw the glory rise up over the wall and go away. The departure of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord walked right up to the temple at the time of Christ. Stood in the temple. And then what happened? That temple's brought down in 70 AD. It's destroyed. And we wander around thinking, well, what are we going to do? There's no temple. There's no temple. Yes, there is. You're the temple. When you read Revelation 17, when you read Revelation 18, you read about the woman who, the, the woman who rides the beast. And you look at the things she's guilty for. She's guilty of what? Destroying the people of God. The Lord says, I bring vengeance against Babylon, vengeance for my temple. I don't think he's talking about a building. I think he's talking about you. I think he's talking about me. I think he's talking about believers through the centuries and this judgment that God will pour out. I think he's describing the, that, final, that final judgment. He says, set up a standard against the walls, make the watch strong, set up watchmen, prepare ambushes. For the Lord has both planned and done what he spoke concerning the inhabitants of Babylon. O you who dwell by many waters, rich in treasures, your end is come. The thread of your life is cut. The Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, surely I will fill you with men. As many as locusts, and they will raise the shout of victory over you. So the Medes are going to walk in. The party's going to be going on in the middle. The people are going to be uh, continuing this party, dancing around in the streets, drinking, getting drunk. 
And then they're all going to look around them and they're going to be surrounded by the Medo-Persian army. There's no fight. There's no battle. You just lost. It's that part, you're, it's just over. It's done. But the Lord is saying, I swear by myself. When he can swear by no greater, he swears by himself. It's an absolute decree that God will put down Babylon. And we'd read it in Revelation 17 and 18. It's not required for it to be Babylon and Iraq. The attitude of Babylon has never left men since the fall. The rebelliousness against the Lord. He says, <clears throat> it is he who made the earth by his power. He's describing who is the one doing this. Verse 15, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. So God is now describing himself like he does in Isaiah 44 through 48, I think maybe 49. <clears throat> he says, he, he describes the incomparability of Yahweh. There is no one like Yahweh. There is no one like your God. There is no one like the God of the heavens, the, the highest as they call him. He is incomparable. When he utters his voice, there's a tumult of waters in the heavens. He makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for rain. He brings forth the wind from storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith put to shame by his idols, for his images are false and there's no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they will perish. So he's saying all those idols are going to be put down. All those idols destroyed. They're false. They're not real. They're not true. And as we continue the idea, the Lord is saying on the day of the punishment, they're all going to be destroyed. They're all going to be gone. Psalm 82 describes all the hosts of heaven, the fallen angels who are a part of the deception of the nations, all being judged before God. In the same way, he's saying, look, all of these, they're going to be put down. They're worthless, a work of delusion. The time of, at the time of their punishment, they will perish. At the time of their punishment, it will all go down. He says in verse 19, not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. So now he's going to describe those who are saved. For he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. He says, you are my hammer, the weapon of war. With you, I break nations in pieces. With you, I destroy kingdoms. With you, I break in pieces the horse and his rider. With you, I break in pieces the chariot and the charioteer. With you, I break in pieces man and woman. With you, I break in pieces the old man and the youth. <clears throat> With you, I break in pieces the young man and the young woman. With you, I break in pieces the shepherd and his flock. With you, I break in pieces the farmer and his team. With you, I break in pieces governors and commanders. I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea before your very eyes for all the evil they have done in Zion, declares the Lord. I'm going to do this thing all their power, all our power will be broken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what is left is the things that survive. Hebrews 12, 26 says, and at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised more. Uh, now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates a removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What is God describing? The destruction of all of creation. How does he describe it in Ezekiel, how does he describe it in the prophets? How does he describe it in Revelation? The heavens will roll up like a scroll. All the stars in the heavens will fall down. Those are all world-ender days, right? 
There's not another day when all the stars of the heaven fall. That's the last day. He's describing all of this, everything that can be shaken, being shaken and collapsing, which is part of establishing the eternal kingdom. Because what's left will not be temporal. What is left is eternal. It's his kingdom. It's his place. He says in verse 25, behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain. That's a phrase dealing with kingdoms. He's describing kingdoms. Declares the Lord, which destroys the whole earth. I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the crags, and make you a burnt mountain. No stone will be taken from you for a corner, no stone for a foundation. You shall be a perpetual waste, declares the Lord. Set up a standard on the earth, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations for war against her. This is not Medo-Persians coming, this is everybody, right? All the armies of the world. Summon her against the kingdoms, Ararat, Mini, and Askenaz. Appoint a marshal against her. Bring up horses like bristling locusts. Prepare the nations for war against her. The kings of the Medes <coughs> with their governors and deputies and every land under their dominion. For the land trembles and rise in pain for the Lord's purpose against Babylon stand. To make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant once and forever finished and done the warriors of babylon have ceased fighting they remain in their strongholds their strength has failed they become like women her dwellings are on fire her bars are broken one runner runs to meet another one messenger runs to meet another to tell the king of babylon that his city is taken on every side The fords have been seized, the marshes burn with fire, and the soldiers are in panic. The description of utter uh, destruction in Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor at the time when it is trodden. Yet a little while, and the time of her harvest will come. Payday, someday, there will be a harvest you have sowed. Seeds of the grapes of wrath, the Bible describes. And one day God is going to harvest those grapes. And it will be Jesus Christ who is the harvester. He will call to the angels and they will harvest the earth. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. He says, listen, he has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has rinsed me out. The violence done to me and to my kinsmen will be upon Babylon. Let the inhabitant of Zion say, my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea. Let Jerusalem say, therefore thus says the Lord, behold, I will plead your cause and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her fountain dry. And Babylon shall become a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals. A horror and a hissing without inhabitant. Remember when the Bible describes those kind of animals in judgment, they are shade creatures. They're not creatures, they're not really jackals, not really ostriches. It's a term that would be used to describe demons. It would be a place of demons. It'll be a place of the of the underworld, underworld creatures. The idea is that it's a, it's a wicked and horrible place, a horror and a hissing. No one would live there, right? If hell had really great sale on homes, you wouldn't buy a home there, would you? No, Babylon's gonna be like hell. No one's gonna wanna be there. No one's gonna wanna be there because of the wickedness that's there. <clears throat> he says, they will roar together, Like lions, they will growl like lions' cubs. And while they are inflamed, I will prepare them a feast and make them drunk, and they will become merry. Then sleep, a perpetual sleep, and not wake, declares the Lord. The Bible says in Revelation uh, chapter 20 that God calls a feast. He calls the feast of, or 19, must be 19. He calls the feast of the great God Almighty. He calls all the birds. It's not a feast for people. 
He calls all the birds of the heaven to come feast on the bodies of kings, soldiers, all the dead, all the slain that are there on that last day, similar to what the Lord is describing right here. He says, I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams and male goats. How Babylon is taken, the praise of the whole earth seized. A lot of times when people start talking about Babylon, they try to put a, a modern city to it. Well, who's the modern city? Who's Babylon? Who will they mourn over if they're gone? Who spends all the world's money? Who buys all the world's products? I suppose if you can answer that question, you may be close. How Babylon is taken. How Babylon has become a horror among the nations. The sea has come up on Babylon. You guys know Babylon's not on the sea, right? Between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. The sea will come up. She is covered by its tumultuous waves. Her city has become a horror, a land of drought and a desert, a land in which no one dwells and through which no son of man passes. And I will punish Bel. Bel is the deity of Babylon. He says, I will punish Bel in Babylon. I will take out of his mouth what he has swallowed. Remember I told you Psalm 82, God judges the angels who came against the nations and led them astray. When we talk about the fall of man. You have the fall of man, the corruption of man, and the rebellion of man. You can't separate any of those three events. The Bible talks about angels corrupting men. Genesis 6. The Bible talks about the corruption. And, and I believe most of the false gods that appeared in the ancient world, as many in the modern world, were birthed because of a real spiritual experience with an angel. Why did Paul say, test the spirits? Have you bumped into a lot of angels recently? But some people have, haven't they? Why does he give us warning like that? Is it just, you know, test the spirit of a man? You know, make sure he's got the right spirit in him? Or is he talking about the angelic host? Did the angels appear to men before in the Old Testament? Did they announce the birth of Messiah? If they've been active before, they can't be active anymore? The Lord says, I will punish Bill. The nations will no longer flow to him. The wall of Babylon has fallen. Revelation 18. We just kind of, we moked, we've mowed our way through most of it. I'm going to read Revelation 18. <clears throat> Try not to say nothing about it. I just want you to hear the language, okay? After this, I saw another angel coming down out of heaven. Having great authority, the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out in a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquity. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she has mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I am a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I will never see. For this reason, her plagues will come upon her in a single day. Death and mourning and famine... <clears throat> she will be burned with fire 
for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her since no one will buy their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet, cloth, all, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies, your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand afar off in fear of her tor torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid to waste." All the shipmasters, the seafaring men, sailors, and all who trade on the sea stood afar off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? They threw dust on their head as they wept and mourned, crying aloud, <clears throat> Alas, alas for the great city where all who had ships at the sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she's been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea and said, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. The sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeteers will be heard in you no more, and a craftsman of any craft will not be found in you. No more. The sound of the mill will not be heard in you no more. The light of the lamp will not shine in you no more. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. <clears throat> All the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the blood of the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. That's how John describes the destruction of Babylon, which was already destroyed at John's time. It was not a city anymore. John looking forward, perhaps, to our days. I don't know. But he describes <clears throat> this city once and for all being put down. Listen, back in Jeremiah 45, what does he say? Get out of the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. Let not your heart faint. Be not fearful at the report in the land when a report comes in a year and afterward a report in another year <clears throat> that there's violence in the land and a ruler is against ruler. Therefore, behold, the days are coming. I will punish the images of Babylon and the whole land will be put to shame and all her slain will fall in the midst of her, Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them will sing for joy over Babylon. For the destroyers shall come against them out of the north. Remember I told you that's language, Old Testament language for God's judgment. God's judgment coming out of the north, declares the Lord. Babylon will fall for the slain of Israel. Just as for Babylon, just as for Babylon have fallen the slain of, what did he say? All the earth. Don't sound familiar to you? You who have escaped from the sword, do not stand still. Remember the Lord from far away. Let Jerusalem come to your mind. Story of two cities. Where should you go? Babylon or Jerusalem? City of God or the city of rebellion? We are put to shame for we have heard reproach. Dishonor has covered our face. For foreigners have come into the holy places of the Lord's house. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will execute judgment upon her images. 
Throughout all the land, all the land will groan. Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, though she should fortify her strong height, yet destroyers will come. A voice, a cry from Babylon, the noise of great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans. For the Lord is laying Babylon waste and stilling her mighty voice. Their waves roar like many waters. The noise of her voice is raised for a destroyer has come upon her. Upon Babylon, her warriors are taken, their bows are broken. For the Lord is a God of recompense, and he will surely repay. I will make drunk her officials, her wise men, her governors, her commanders, her warriors. They will sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, declares the king, whose name is Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad wall of Babylon will be leveled to the ground, her gates burn with fire. Her people labor for nothing. The nations weary themselves only for fires. He's describing it. Remember, as we look at this, none of these acts happen under the Medes. None of these happened under Alexander. These are looking at the city that is not the city of God, the city of man's rebellion against him. So after all of this, the word that Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah the son of Neriah the son of Maseiah when he went with Zedekiah king of Judah to Babylon. So now he's backing up. He's saying, remember when Zedekiah went to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign, Sariah was the quartermaster. Jeremiah wrote all this down in a book, all the disaster that would happen to Babylon, all these words that are written concerning Babylon Jeremiah said to Sariah, when you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words and say, O Lord, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast. It will be desolate forever. And when you finish reading the book, tie a stone to it and cast it in the middle of the Euphrates and say, thus shall Babylon sink and rise no more because of the disaster I will bring upon her and they shall become exhausted. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah says, he sends this. This happened before the exile. So the, when he writes all this stuff down and he sends it to the king, he writes it down and he sends it to him, the uh, uh, Zedekiah, when he goes, when he's finding himself there um, among the king, when he's there, um, He's saying, look, I want you to read this, Zariah, Sariah, I want you to read this, read that God is going to put down Babylon. And I think the reason why this is encouraging to those going into exile is it's this word. I know you're suffering under difficulties and it seems like when you look around, wickedness is triumphing. But God says, one day, I'm going to bring all the wicked down. So know, while you're suffering and enduring the hardships you may endure, God's message to the people was, all the wicked will be judged. You keep your eyes on the prize. We start worrying about the wicked. Isn't that what uh, the psalmist declared? I almost lost my way. Because I looked at the wicked and I said, why is the, is the wicked prevailing? Why is it that he's getting by with everything and the righteous are suffering? What calmed the psalmist's spirit? I went into the house of the Lord and there I saw his end. We find that we were all or are all numbered with the wicked. It is Christ who has drawn us forth from that number through the great salvation with which he saved us. There will be a judgment day and there will be a glorification of God's people. But there's still time to pull some more people out of the fire, no? And it's hard to pull the wicked out and hate them at the same time. If you hate them, you're not going to stick your hand out there. You're going to say, get them, God. 
God is, is the point of the, the prophet laying these seeds out. Read this and then throw it in the river. Because it's not going to happen in your life. Judgment day, someday. Payday, someday. God says, I will, I will judge it. But during your day, be a living sacrifice. Live that life out before God with your eyes on the prize. That's where I'm going. Recognizing that justice is perverted in the land, but God is a God of justice, and whatever I have to walk through, will he give me the strength to walk it? For sure he will. I can trust him. That still makes him my hope. That still makes him the only thing I really need to be able to endure the exile, the judgment, the suffering, we are able to overcome because I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded he is able to keep me into that day. Still truth. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time, Lord, that we can study your word, Lord, and I hope that, that we can begin to see, God, the work that, that you are accomplishing through the prophets, that not only are you talking about there will be an end to every kingdom of men, that Babylon will end, that Assyria would end, that Egypt would end, that Greece would end. Daniel has incredible prophecies about that that Rome would end, that all of these things would come and go, but the kingdom of God will last forever. So, Lord, may we keep our eyes on the prize in these days where everything is just a little sideways. May we keep our eyes on the prize and trust that you, God, are able to deliver us. May we put our hope and our trust firmly with you because you, God, are able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. So, Lord, we just ask your, your blessing as we go from this place, be glorified in the lives we live out before you, and we'll give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.